Well, everybody, it is time for FOSS News. And if you didn't notice, I have a guest. His name is Stefan Olvera. Um, and as soon as I stop sharing the sort of cover screen, you'll see him better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we really get into the meat of the interview, please feel free to subscribe to the channel um, and take a look at Rev20 Rev20. Um, right now, it's basically just a Discord channel. Uh, well, server, actually. Um, and yeah, that is a clearinghouse of sorts for ministries and associated business efforts. Um, I'm there. And yeah, so subscribe to the channel called Foss News. Like the video, share the video, comment down below. Or if you're here live, the comments are kind of up there. Um, just a second. And so, yes. So, Stefan, who are you? Of course. So, I would say that a good description, a solid description right now would be a video game developer in training, I would say. Or just video game developer as well. I am someone who hasn't been aiming to develop games for game jams so trying to get them out quickly and so on i've someone who has more of um looking into the messages and the um i would say the important things in life and trying to convey that through character rosters and storylines that people would be into so that has caused me to i would take say more of a researcher a writer and researching route into game development and that has caused me to encounter several communities here and there that have exchanged good feedback and information with designs, ideas, and such, so forth. And has really led to a lot of the maturity and development. And uh, I would say it has benefited me more than other methods would have. Um, more, I would say, well-known methods. And as one of my instructors long ago once taught me, um, there's nothing like hands-on learning. Get in the field, meet real people online through accounts, uh, mod communities that was recommended to me a long time ago. And I have found, uh, even beyond my own intentions, just how beneficial that has truly been. I've learned what people needed and so on. And I would say that definitely describes a lot of what research I've been doing to really facilitate the work and just make give it more quality. Um, I wouldn't be able to have generated this level of quality um, in my research, in my training, my, my preparation really, if I didn't take the time to work with people. Um, hobbyists, players, feedback, community. It's a lot of important people skills 
that are good to develop, um, especially when one is an indie game designer. But not dwelling too much on that, um, how that relates to this specifically, this topic, is that, of course, I was on Windows originally. Everything I just said just now, that was done early on for maybe around 2016. It was, I would say, the year I really got heavily involved uh, working with hobbyists, other people. I was on Windows at that time, and there was never a question to... Uh, change another operating system. Um, I had inherited Windows from my family, uh, just computers, laptops, desktops that had Windows pre-installed on it for about 20 years. And whenever we, of course, would lose computers, we'd just replace them in the family. Um, all the other families I knew had Windows as well. Linux was not known at all at the time. And that was just how things went. And, of course, using Windows, you have to like learn how to wrestle with it, especially the task manager. Mm-hmm. And I say that like on a normal basis. Like even if you spent your whole young life on Windows, you still have to wrestle with the task manager. And you just think this is normal. So I'm helping people, getting feedback, um, or just, you know, being the middleman to certain hobbyist project leads and their uh, player base. And, of course, it was always problematic that Windows would oftentimes run the CPU at 100%. That is not a good thing. All the threads are maximized. There's very severe lag on tasks. And you have a lot of stutter, a lot of slowdown, frame rate drops. It's really bad. And this is just normal. Yeah. And you just have to accept this. Um, in my case, I certainly did on Windows around 2016, all the way to about 2018. It was doable, but problematic. Of course, I was trained years earlier on programs like Adobe CS3. And of course, I had kept track of Adobe's progress. It went to CS4, 5, 6. So on one hand, you have the operating system, Windows. And on the other hand, you have proprietary um tools for art and design applications like Adobe and others. And of course, that was just how life went for the longest time. I mean, even years before that, for that matter. So maybe we're talking even upwards of six or seven years. But of course, lo and behold, uh, laptops, they age, they get older. One of my more faithful workstations was um, no longer up to date on its software. The OpenGL was uh, two point something. It just wasn't going to run the latest game engines that were coming out the 20 teens, uh, 2015 plus. Um, OpenGL 3.0 was being used by that point. So um, a lot of my older equipment was being outdated and I had to upgrade. So, you know, I was able to invest into a newer laptop Unfortunately, the fan was faulty. You know, the hardware just wasn't quite dependable. And unfortunately, that was like a compound problem because, again, Windows running CPU at 100%. Here I have a newer laptop with a faulty fan. Those two do not mix well together. You get like the perfect storm scenario. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, explosive <laughs> in a way. So, of course, you know, it's not too far of a stretch to realize that eventually this is not going to a good place in the story, in my life back then. So by 2018, of course, the fan is just losing its rotor blades because made of plastic. And at that point, it's just noisy. It's like an airplane trying to take off. It's always embarrassing at night. You got people trying to sleep and you're trying to work this thing. And it's just like an airplane motor or something, engine. On top of the fact that, of course, it's overheating. And that's not good either. For so many reasons. You know, you got to protect the electronics and the wiring inside. And eventually, mm-hmm. it just all collapses. And that's exactly what happened. Eventually, the fact that Windows wouldn't stop running CPU 100%. Of course, I look up all the articles online, try to wrestle with the tax manager. It won't let me. It tyrannically decides, nope, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. I'm not going to listen to you. And it's like, oh, well. And eventually, it just runs the laptop to the ground. Just destroys it literally. Mm-hmm. Can't turn it on anymore. It's gone. So I lose laptop one, right? The new one. The older laptop, which of course I can't use newer like game engines and you know OpenGL 3.0 type applications. Well, eventually, you know that thing just it gets too old, and just due to age and the fact that Windows wasn't treating it any better, that dies. So laptop number two, two laptops down. Well, and I end up with nothing. No workstations. I mean. Seven was a little bit nicer to computers than ten. <laughs> a little. <laughs> and you know, it's only gotten worse over the years. Like it's gotten so bloated. And like you said, the reality of Windows task management. What is that even? Like seriously. You have no control. It decides. So if you want to get stuff done reliably, does it sound like you can do it on Windows? And I thank you for reminding me that before I lost both laptops, of course, I tried to get the older faithful workstation to upgrade. And it was originally on Vista. That's how old it was. It took two very grueling days and a lot of research to get that to upgrade from Vista to 7. And it certainly did that computer many favors to its longevity and usage, but it wasn't enough Vista to save was it. terrible. <laughs> it was. It was. 7 was a little bit better, but it didn't really do much to save it on the long run. It just extended its life maybe an extra three years at the most, maybe two. So... I got what I needed out of Vista, out of 7, and then of course the other laptop, the newer one that also died, that was a 10. And of course I had to learn like the fact that Windows had changed their um, methodology, just the way you access things, the menu, the interface, it was so different. And that was fine, but again, task manager, tyranny, it was just bad. At the end of the day, at the inside, at the heart, it's still trying to control you, still trying to spy on you, still trying to just outmaneuver you, and it just isn't good. It's very, very bad and very annoying for workflow. Step-by-step process demands of work and research and applications. So 
No matter what I had done previously, no matter what I had tried, in the end, two laptops were toast. Gone. So, no workstations. I don't have to say much more than that. No workstations, no work. So, I realized, hold on a second. You know what? I have spent 20 years of my young, growing up into adulthood life inheriting Windows pre-installed computers from my family, which is understandable. But I realized, you know, I don't come from tech family. You know, I had to really learn this stuff mostly on my own. And there wasn't that much I was going to be able to pull from my um, the people I knew in terms of Linux. Like, they knew Windows, not Linux. So I was on my own when it came to Linux, understandably. So I realized, okay, I'm going to have to go research. And I spent maybe three months at least, possibly four uh, looking into videos, looking into forms, and eventually I realized Linux, of course, came up. But of course, it's not just one Linux. We're talking multiple distributions of Linux. The many different flavors of many, many, and I real many. So I realized, okay, I am ignorant at the time. I know nothing of Linux and of distros. So I had to spend those months. Doing really a, a personal crash course into what are distros, why do people choose certain distros over others, what do certain distro methodologies, ideologies offer when it comes to the installer, when it comes to even the way the distribution manages programs, applications, the way it updates, does it use command line heavily, does it do more of a visual interface to make that easier, or both. Does it do rolling uh, updates or the other options? So I realized um, very quickly that, of course, some distros are more popular than others. No surprise. And I start to zero in, really um, aim into those and see what the differences are. And of course, and as you would know all too well, of course, you have Ubuntu. Gets a lot of the uh, advertisement glory. Yes, it does. Witness. But it wasn't long before, of course, I had experience on Windows. I mean, I was certainly not born yesterday in that sense. I knew that I was going to have to look into, was well, there any issues with the most popular distros? So Ubuntu was the first. And, of course, I looked into it. It realized that people, understandably, do complain that Ubuntu is in many people's description, the Windows of the Linux world. So I knew for myself personally, okay, I'm avoiding that. No questions asked. And I went looking into other distributions after that. I looked into Debian. Um, but I noticed that with Debian-type distros, usually, normally, it seems like their updates are more relaxed, a little bit too relaxed for my liking. I realized that the demands of my work required something a lot more immediate. So I, again, I looked again. So I eventually ran into Arch, mm -hmm. Arch Linux, and Arch-based. Okay, so let me stop you there. Uh -huh. So the difference between an Ubuntu or a Debian base and an Arch base is that the Debian Ubuntus of the world are what are considered point releases. So they work for six months or a year or two and release a whole slew of system updates. Not necessarily app updates, because the apps do roll those repositories, the servers where you get your files from, your applications, may not be as up-to-date as like a Manjaro 
or a closer to vanilla arch. Um, because those, like the arch distros of the world, that's a rolling release. So every time there's an update, like they do some testing and then they roll it out to their users. So it can be harrowing. I've had some bad experiences in the past. Um, like when I was, when I first started doing videos for Tech Freedom, um, I was running actually the exact same distro that I'm using right now, uh, Endeavor OS. It's basically Arch with an easier install <laughs> and, a, and a space theme. Uh, <laughs> eh, whatever, not going to get into that one. <laughs> Some distros will base their entire marketing on the visual theme alone and cost mm -hmm. gigabytes worth. Just a little quick little pointer there. <laughs> yep. I mean, Endeavor's not that insane. Like, they have colors and a handful of wallpapers that they have. It's not that big of a deal. Actually, Manjaro is heavier on that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, the issue, it was last April or something like that with Endeavor and things that are closer to Arch than Manjaro is because Manjaro has their own testing that they add to it before they roll the packages to their users. So it's kind of like Arch with training wheels. Yes. Um, but the issue that I had with Endeavor was that along with Vanilla Arch, they rolled a package called Pipewire, which manages both video and audio uh, out to people before it was completely ready. And it borked my audio. It was terrible. Ouch. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to get into the weeds on that one, but I could. <laughs> <laughs> so I wound up running back to I forget if I went back to Garuda or which is another Arch distro, by the way. It's another heavyweight. Because it's it's geared for gamers, really. Uh, it's not good for a system that is low on resources. Because the the ISO that you download for that is like four gigs by itself. That sounds like the one I was thinking about earlier. Yes. <laughs> um, and like. It's theming is too gamery for me. I'm pretty plain. I'm like, I don't need bringy, blingy bright lights and all this nonsense on my desktop. Okay? Give me something clean. And maybe that's because I grew up when I did in computers. Um, like, I'm very sensitive to memory use. <laughs> Because I remember when computers, it it felt like a, a it felt like a heck of a lot of RAM to have 128 megs. Can you imagine? I think I can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when eight gigs feels like 
not quite enough now, even on Linux. Talking terabytes, petabytes, yeah. Well, I'm talking about RAM, not not uh, SSD or hard drive. So true. Um, but yeah, like I remember, and this is gonna date my geekiness, but. I remember when the first 25 gig hard drive came out. Wow. My grandma literally clipped an article out of the newspaper for me. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I've been a nerd that long, guys. That was almost 25 years ago. (laughs) Um, But yeah, anyway. I mentioned the why I mentioned the giga and the petabytes because even for me myself um, storage is a big issue if you're someone like me and you're um, you need the applications to perform work like uh, art so we're talking textures and 3D models and so on renders especially so on music's very heavy especially you want to store it like Pretty soon, the RAM's going up, storage is going up. There's definitely some kind of relation there for artists specifically, uh, mm-hmm. multi-artists, not just visual artists, but uh, music artists. So that that'll be audio arts or audio engineers, as some people call themselves, understandably. Um, and yeah, the uh, the memory usage, the the RAM, the storage space, it's really skyrocketed in my view as well. I absolutely agree with you that is almost irrecognizable where it is today and in fact I, mean, I want to ask you it does linux linux itself different dist- distros different philosophies of course but overall do you feel that linux has actually taken the correct steps in terms of just how much that has ballooned compared to the time that you remember to now well i'm curious <laughs> i really am so for me like, if somebody wants to buy a new computer, I will never suggest getting anything less than 8 gigs, no matter what you're doing. Because even, like, regular users, like my wife, okay? Love my wife, but she overdoes things in her browsers. Like, she has 20 or 30 or 40 tabs open at, the one, at once. And if I had gotten her a machine with less than 16 gigs of RAM, she'd have been unhappy, even on Linux. Um, Just the reality of the situation. And I can speak to the rendering issues because like five years ago, when I first started doing video content and doing a little bit of editing, just barely touching editing, right? Um, It used to feel relatively decent on this computer. Now, keep in mind, guys, I bought this computer eight years ago now. Um, And I'm talking about within Linux, using Caden Live, which is one of the main video editors. Um, Render times in the subsequent two or three years went from reasonable to, oh my God, 
Why? <laughs> On the same hardware. And actually, with a RAM and SSD update. Because back in 2020 or 21, I can't remember which one, I actually doubled the RAM in this machine and went from spinning rest to an SSD. Without those upgrades, even with Linux, it would not be usable. Wow. So those are... Those are the kind of two things that no matter what operating system you're using, if you can increase your RAM and move from a traditional hard drive to an SSD, you will see massive dividends in performance, no matter what operating system. I recently... Um, go ahead. As far as the rendering thing goes, that's why I basically just do streaming style because number one I don't have time to wait around for a render after I do editing for hours I mean if I wasn't doing it streaming style there are moments that I would trim out for sure like when I trip over my tongue but there's something to be said for just being authentic and streaming does that anyway so so yeah I mean pardon me case in point Well, let me uh, make it worthwhile to the audience right there. Recently, I just in the West, so we're talking over in the East, and this person informed me that his device, his computer, what he's using, and even the people he knows, they cannot run streams on their devices. It's actually too heavy for their systems. They only um, go with anything that's text. So, like, blogs and articles, um, I do a lot of that myself. I, I write a lot with text. They, they read that. Uh, still shot imagery to show a showcase of um, a project with still shot images. But in terms of video, in terms of streaming, yeah, they can't even run that. So, that was a bit of news for me, actually. I was like, huh. You know, I want to reach everyone all over the world. I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> going to keep that option open to my future projects. Just a little something for people to keep in mind. Yeah. But yeah, um, Linux on its, on its own. Number one, it's actually a kernel, not an operating system. It's easily conflated with all of the bells and whistles that come with different distributions of the Linux kernel. But it's really just a kernel, and that's what connects all of the drivers and firmware and software into actually talk to the hardware to make things work. Okay. And it is free and open source, which means anybody with the skill and talent to look into the languages that it's based on, which it's written in C for the most part, I'm not one of those, at least not at this point in my life. 
C is a bit much. Um, but you can look at it. You can tweak it if you want. And that also enables faster patching, faster exploit deal, faster time to deal with exploits that get dis discovered in terms of security holes and whatnot. So, and we're open about it, where Windows is not. <laughs> you have to go digging if you want to know what's in that update you just spent two hours installing. <laughs> um, and even then, they're not going to give you full information. But back to Stefan. So it's 2018, 2019. You're realizing that Windows is killing your hardware. Yes. And so you start looking into this Linux thing. What was the thought process? I would say that if I'm going to be chronological about it and also tie into the most recent topic you just brought up as well, about the skill can someone who is um, shall we say not so skilled move from Windows to Linux easily in a viable doable accessible way for the demands of the work and, and so on and so forth the answer is yes in my case around the time of 2018 which led directly into 2019 that was a lot of sweat and a lot of dread in the sense that, as I mentioned much earlier, I was ignorant on Linux. Spent 20 years of my growing up life on Windows. So you can only imagine, as I'm certain most of the Windows audience does as well, how much intrepidation one would have when looking at Linux. It almost You think of it like a mountain or something, but it's just a mountain of unknown. And when she realizes nothing but fog and mist and you are willing to take some form of bravery and wade uh, maneuver yourself through that fog through that mist of the unknown you begin to realize that it's not quite as difficult as it may appear and i'll tell you why because you're not being asked as a uh, a user of a kernel or an operating system however people want to define that you're not being asked to develop a kernel or an os or the coding for it you're basically just asking yourself can I transition to a different environment, to a different, I would say, overall system of interaction? That's really what it is. To drop the spyware, drop the task manager of Windows, as we mentioned earlier, very infamous, and to go with something that you have more control over. And for that, I say yes, very doable. You don't need much skill for that. You don't have to, like, code proper. At all. Say. At all. All you have to do once you get onto the actual distribution of your choice is, and it depends, right? Depends where you go with. But let's assume that you have not just Calamaris, which we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But also beyond Calamaris, like Octopi or something. So you have like visual interfaces. So for anyone who's on Windows right now and is wondering, well, is there a Linux out there that has 
something that can hold my hand because I genuinely want to not deal with command line, the answer is yes. They are out Absolutely. there. Research, right? Research helps to look into this. And most mainline distributions will hold your hand. They have what they call graphical package managers. And instead of having to run all over the internet to install your applications, you can open one thing and search. And likely, unless it's proprietary software you're talking about, it'll just work. It'll be there. Or something similar to it that you can learn. And it's just a matter of clicking, clicking, and putting in your password. Unless it's a flat pack. If it's a flat pack, you don't even need to put in your password. It'll just install it. Bam. Um, we can talk about packaging another time. That gets into the weeds. Um, but yeah. In comparison with when I first was introduced to Linux 10 years ago, it's come light decades. Not just light years, light decades. Um, and ultimately, switching over from Windows, like the actual process of it, it's basically like installing any other program. All you have to do, and from Windows 10, at least, is make sure that you have a flash drive made with whatever distro or distros you want to try. I have... Use Rufus, Rufus or something. Uh, I just want to add that real fast. So there are a bunch of different options in terms of flashers out there. You've got Rufus, you've got Balena Etcher, which is much more friendly than Rufus. Much. Um, like, it's pretty. Rufus is, it feels like stepping back to the 90s. I actually <laughs> use Rufus for your information, by the way. <laughs> Balena hadn't really fully released when you made the switch, so yeah. Um, and so I have some pre-made drives so if you choose to work with me I'll send you one of them it comes with two flavors of Manjaro two flavors of Artix and then Linux Mint Debian Edition um, on a flash drive that is made by Ventoy just another program. And actually, once you figure out how to work with it, it's even easier. And you can put multiple distros on a single flash drive if you have the space. Um, I actually have a video on using my flash drives. I demonstrate installing Manjaro with it. Like, it's easy, guys. The whole video takes about 12 minutes. That's it. And that was even deciding which distro I was going to try. Um, and w along with distros, you've got desktop environments. 
that's a huge thing. And that's something you're going to feel more than the distro itself, because that's what you're actually interacting with. Um, I just want to, for the audience's sake, point out that in my experience, when I was making the jump, one of the, the big things I researched once I decided on my distro was what kind of desktop flavor did I really want to go for. I studied um, GNOME, in the case of Manjaro, I and mean, these were the popular ones. Obviously, there are more, Cinnamon and so on, but uh, XFCE, which um, now people have to remember, 2018, 2019, things were a little bit different back then. XFCE still had the, um, um, I want to say the marketing, which was true, by the way, that it was smaller. But around that time, XFC was getting a little bit larger, and it was almost like KDE, at least when I was looking into it um, mm, at the time. It's, it's still lighter on resources than KDE, like significantly. Fair. So if um, you're running an older machine with limited resources, and you don't mind it looking like Windows 98 out of the box, you'll probably be okay with XFCE. Um, my personal favorite is KDE. Um, I used to, if you guys have been around the channel for any amount of time, you know I used to rag on GNOME hard. Like, I bashed it. And then I realized GNOME is much better for my Surface than KDE is. Like, it pretty much just works. So if you have a two-in-one, GNOME might be a better fit for you. Just what it is. Um, if you want something that looks more normal, closer to Windows 10 or Windows 11, then KDE or even Cinnamon. Cinnamon is very good that way. Um, particularly 10 or 7 in terms of interface because that's what it's geared for. Um, but, yeah, we could get off into the weeds and talk about that for an hour. Um, so, yeah, the desktop exper experience environment is very important. And that's why trying different ones is important. That's why taking a look at reviews on YouTube is very important. That way you can kind of see and go, I could get used to that. I couldn't get used to that, you know, um, because that's what you're going to be interacting with on your screen all the time. Um, then you've got applications, right? And not every proprietary situation is going to be compatible with Linux, unfortunately. We're talking like uh, Windows Office? Documents? There's MS Office, which you can easily replace with LibreOffice or only Office. I have actually recently switched to just using only Office. Um, the interface is much smoother. 
and will be more immediately familiar coming from recent MS Office because that's what it's designed for. Um, the one hiccup with only Office is there's not a good way to change its defaults. So like the default font, the default page size and layout. Um, it starts out with A4 for the page size. Although nothing is perfect in life, but being able to get rid of the task manager of Windows if that's really what they're looking for, or more command, more control, or not being controlled, going to Linux. Even though they had to put up with some of these unusual, strange attributes from some of these applications, nevertheless, if this is something that will benefit them, it will benefit them immensely, greatly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. At least that's one way of looking at it. And with these applications, a lot of them are cross-platform, so you can start trying them on Windows or even Mac OS before you make the switch. And yes, you can put Linux on a Mac. I've done it. Um, now, if you've got Time Machine backups, I would suggest getting those transferred over to something that's a little less proprietary first. Otherwise, you're going to have a rough time. Again, voice of experience. Um, but, yeah, you can take a 10 or 15-year-old machine, or even 20 for that matter. I've seen people take machines from the late 90s and install Linux and have them actually work. Of course, with those sorts of machines, you're going to need to find a 32-bit version of Linux because it won't run a 64-bit. Because <laughs> the processor can't. If it's that old. Um, and you wouldn't have the resources in the system to run a full fat 64-bit system anyway. But I digress. Um, the point is, you can run Linux on literally a potato and actually have it be able to do things. Maybe not a whole lot, if you're talking about a 25-year-old computer. <laughs> but at least it will function somewhat. <laughs> so that's a big part of what I try to emphasize with Tech Freedom. You don't need a bleeding edge computer. You can rescue old hardware. And in fact, if you're going to do it on your own, I would suggest buying, you know, a 10 or a 15 year old machine and just playing with it so that it's not mission critical. Right? Unlike me or in Stefan's case, where he had to do it. And in my case, the last time I nuked Windows off this machine, it was actually accidental. <laughs> and then I went, oh, well. Because <laughs> I was dual booting at the time. Um, I think I was dual booting Windows and Ubuntu Studio. <laughs> 
And I had to reinstall Ubuntu Studio and I didn't catch, I wound up just wiping the drive and I went, oh well, <laughs> bye. Because <laughs> at that point I had already been using Linux for like five years and mostly using Linux. Um, and you get used to it just like you did with Windows. Yeah, it's going to take a little time. It'll take some effort, but it's worth it because as Stefan has said multiple times, you control your computer. Unlike in Windows where they're like, no, we're going to do it my way. No, no, bad Windows. Sit down. Go to the corner. <laughs> Sorry. Dad mode came out. <laughs> and by the way, most of the internet runs on Linux. Your cloud servers in AWS, in Google, in Azure, mostly run Linux behind the scenes because it's free. Now, in those sorts of applications, it's going to wind up being a little different merely because they probably installed an enterprise version so that they have extended support and can call up, you know, Red Hat and go, hey, something broke. Fix it. But for most of the rest of us who are using Linux, most regular end users, like myself, like Stefan, you go to a forum, you go to a place like my Telegram channel and get support. Um, you're not on your own. The community is so much more welcoming than it used to be. Like, it used to almost be toxic. Let's be honest. Like, when I first started, um, if it weren't for the guy that got me into it, I would have given up within three or four months because there were driver issues and it was just, it was a nightmare back then, to be honest. And most of that has been taken care of since. Um, most off-the-shelf hardware can run Linux with no problem. Now, if you choose to buy a computer through me, it's going to be one that was actually designed to run Linux. Not like an Asus or a Dell or whatever, but you'll be buying a System76 or a Star Labs or something like that, where and these are boutique manufacturers who specialize in putting together hardware that runs Linux well. Whereas if you take like a bleeding edge laptop, for instance, and try to install Linux on it, if it's been out for less than six months, you might have some driver problems. Just maybe. And there may be some things 
like with the RGB lighting, because a lot of laptops are all about that unicorn rainbow puke. <laughs> Those are things that don't necessarily have drivers or firmware in Linux yet for the newer machines. If you're talking about a machine that's an, a year or two or three old, no problem. It's been worked out. Um, and yeah, if you're a gamer, you may have some more issues too um, because certain AAA titles run anti-cheat that does not like Linux. It thinks that if you're running Linux, you're a cheater. So even if otherwise the game would work through Wine or Proton, um, it won't because of anti-cheat. Jerks. <laughs> um, but, and the irony is that most of these online games are running on Linux servers. But you can't play them on Linux. Huh? <laughs> There's a discrepancy between the developers, the people who, who have studios and, and so on, they develop the product and their perception of the uh, kernel's um, operating systems that the potential consumer base, their, uh, the people who um, make money for them basically, the ones who purchase their products, are actually using. And I don't want to drift off into the weeds as you said, but Steam Deck is definitely something for people to check into if they really want more information on, I would say, what's been driving, as you mentioned, uh, Matt, about how back then, like, you know, decade plus ago, it was more elitist, it was more toxic. Um, but to be fair, you know, me coming from the video game side of things, I certainly have seen that on Windows as well. <laughs> you know, it's not just... Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, hypocrisy knows no bounds and no community is uh, infallible, right? Everyone certainly is not. Accountable. Yeah, I've, I've seen it on Windows too. It's not, it's not just a Linux thing. Um, but I've seen that the... I, I think it's an um, autist thing. That's one way of looking at it. That's one way. But you know what? I've also seen um, how I would say business has really opened up. I'll call it that way. For video gaming on Linux machines, devices, OSs, configurations, the Steam Deck, another big name Huge. in favor of that. But even before then, even before the Steam Deck came out, when Steam was phasing out the Steam controller, again, 2018, around that time, even then, Steam was after that point, starting to release updates that really favored Linux. I literally got into it at the correct time. And a lot of games that were obviously never made for Linux originally, they just run so much better because Steam tools and so on. And But going back to the real topic here, all of that out there externally has affected the internal um, transitioning process and has really changed a lot of communities where instead of having your elitists all over the place like 10 years and plus ago, now you have more just nominal people who want to know genuinely, hey, how do you run this thing? I just want to either, uh, I have work to do, I want to run games with my multiplayer group, I just need to know how to you know, fix these things. Well, we got a lot more of those people now. I would dare mm -hmm. say even outnumbering 
outnumbering the elitists in oh, certain yeah. communities, certain ones. Not all of them, certain ones. I say this because, you know, encouraging the audience here. And in fact, for the last uh, 15 minutes, I've actually gotten all these topics. One is Windows. When you're transitioning from Windows to Linux, don't be afraid of S mode. Because back in 2018, 2019, S mode had come in. It was like an extra layer to like keep you from, you know, getting away from Windows. Very annoying. Don't be afraid of that, you know, to the audience. This is my recommendation. Don't be afraid of S mode. There's a way around it. And then by the time I got another, like a little box computer more recently, and I had to do the same process I did before. Used literally the same USB, by the way, with Rufus. It, you know, it was already mm-hmm. had been done years prior. I just, you know, used the same USB with the new device. And like you said earlier about driver issues, it did. Uh, the Wi-Fi card wasn't quite up to date. I actually had to... Um, Obviously, I aim for the long-term support, LLS, I believe they call it the current. LTS. LTS, thank you. Um, and I think it was uh, 15, specifically, when that Wi-Fi, that card, was actually supported. So I was actually using my phone and using the uh, USB you know, wire to actually use the phone's connection to Wi-Fi to do the updates on that little computer because it was so brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, everything on it, as you mentioned earlier. And, and so true. You know, LTS kernels aren't going to have the latest by nature. Like, he runs Manjaro. So it's downstream away from Arch. And the current, the current kernel, which I actually just installed yeah, last night on my other machine, is 6.4.1. Like, I remember when 5.10 was the hot stuff. The latest LTS is the 6.1 series. And it will probably, it would probably have the hardware support you need for that box. So if you haven't updated to it, I would suggest it. (laughs) Um... And going away from LTS kernels isn't really all that painful. It used to be. It used to be harrowing. It used to be like, oh, God. But, like, they've gotten the quality control to such a point for most hardware that most of it's ironed out before these kernels get released. Like, it's amazing. Oh, yes. Um, so, fear not. And, yes, there is there are communities out there, not just mine, which are more than willing to help you. And not just say, you know, RTFM. <laughs> Read the flipping manual. <laughs> Uh, and that's not the F that most people intend. <laughs> but, you know, the, the communities, and it is multiple communities, around these distributions, around Linux, have become so much more supportive in the last five or six years. It's amazing 
frankly. And most of the ones who were toxic have migrated over to, I don't know, BSDs or Gen 2 or Void or one of those basically Linux from scratch type systems that I would never suggest for a new user. I won't even use them. <laughs> like, I haven't even done a vanilla Arch install yet. <laughs> I probably need to, just for the sake of saying that I've done it. But I'm close enough, for the most part, with Endeavor, for instance, that I don't really feel the need. And now they have a script-based installer, which makes installing Arch much easier. Because you don't... Okay, so, little background. Arch used to be a bear to install. And you still can install it that way, where you just do piece by piece. Kernel, firmware, uh, network manager, all the applications you need, your desktop environment, if you want one. And it's all piece by piece, painstaking. You pick exactly what's get installed. So you have to know exactly what you want. Otherwise you'll miss something and the system will be broken. <laughs> that was Arch, okay? That's why there was BTW, I use Arch. N no. <laughs> no, just no. And if there's anybody out there watching who's like that, please go away. Maybe you don't help it's anything. An Maybe it's an encouragement to the audience. If you think about it from another angle, Linux is so free. Think about this. If you're going to compare it to Windows, Linux is so free. If we talk about kernel or like distro choice, it is so free. People on an individual basis can literally choose what kind of Linux they want to wield. Do they want to be that elitist and build it from scratch, piece by piece, component, you know, painstakingly? They can do that. You can do that, audience. And uh, waste but, three hours or more. If you want to. Or maybe you're, you're secretly experienced or in like some master coder or something. You know, go for it. But if you're Fine. somebody who's... Uh huh. More moderate level, like we are. I mean, not not like coding, but just being able to, you know, go through the process and the the command lines, just basic, mind you, nothing advanced. You know, you can handle this. You can swap from Windows or Apple and so on easily. And if easily. you're someone who's, if you're someone who, like I used to be, more ignorant, not quite aware, as Matt has wonderfully said, and you know, Matt himself, look at his uh, tech freedom. You know that alone that that's the entire premise to help people like you to make that knowledge base much easier to access and to move away from ignorance and to move towards true freedom with um, comfort knowing that you're not going to bork your system there are Linux options out there to help you so mm -hmm. whether we discuss Linux at the so-called elitist level <laughs> as we joke or all the way down to um, I need help. I need information level. All in between. That's the beauty of Linux right there. Windows doesn't quite have it to that level. Can't configure it for very evident reasons. Linux, you can do that. That's probably the most wonderful thing about Linux itself. You get to decide how much hand-holding you want, how much you want to explore, 
and how personally elite you want to make yourself. You know, that's all you. Linux lets you be you. That's the beauty mm -hmm. of it right there. Yeah. And all the way from how much hand-holding you want to what you want your UI to look like, what you want your desktop to look like. Because even within sort of the big four in terms of desktop environments, you've got KDE, you've got GNOME, you've got XFCE, and I would argue Cinnamon is probably number four. I've seen a um, lot they each have their strengths and their weaknesses. KDE is the easily the most powerful and the most configurable, but it can be overwhelming because there are so many knobs and dials and sliders and things you can tweak that you could wind up breaking it, but that's unlikely. <laughs> um, but there's just a lot to take in. I don't configure it that much, to be honest. Like the main thing I do with a KDE setup is actually move the the taskbar deal from the bottom to the top. That's it, and change the theme. Like there's next to no configuration that I do on my systems. Then there's someone like my friend Connor, who's a friend of the channel, been on multiple times. Um, I don't think you've ever seen him, though. Not super comfortable on video. <laughs> anyway, he may be watching. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he is much more... He has his way of doing things. And unless he has his config files saved between installs uh, it takes him an hour or two to drill down and configure it exactly the way he wants with he prefers gnome you know different strokes different folks um, and that's one of the joys that's one of the big benefits to Linux yeah it feels like fragmentation it feels confusing at first but once you figure out what you like you can make it work the way you want period and you that know. go ahead sorry <laughs> um, I was thinking about and this might be external territory but it might be related to the listeners, I thought to myself, how can I better support Linux overall? Um, the entirety of, you got communities around the tools, you got communities around the games, uh, developers, but you also have communities around the consumers, the ones who play them. Now, one of the big issues, even now, is that some studios, and, and I understand where they're coming from, the whole Windows background or comfort even. It could be just comfort level, but they don't and then, really go to support Linux. And then the other thing is, remember, Linux on desktop is still very small. We're talking about less than 5% of all computer users are desktop Linux. That number has gone up in the last several years, like through the roof, 
comparatively, but it's still tiny. Yes. I was thinking about when I made the transition over successfully, you know, how can I better support the whole thing overall? And what I realized, and it goes back to what you mentioned, Matt, much earlier in the conversation about uh, cross-platform. The one thing I've noticed about developers and coders, contributors, just anyone you can imagine who works on um, cross-platform development specifically, open source helps obviously, is that it seems that cross-platform as a function, like as a goal, as an investment, shall we say, it seems to play very well with the future. That's really what, what I'm thinking of here, of Linux, of open source, donation-based, contribution community. They just seem to all be related. If you choose to invest, if you choose to contribute, so whether that be funds or coding directly or just be someone on the forums and helps others, whatever community, whatever tool, whatever game that may be, but that is directly helping the future of all of those terminologies I just mentioned. Because, let's face it, the more cross-platform itself is being fed into by consumers and myself, an aspiring developer, learning more and more, it's not going into Windows. Just think about that for a moment. It's not going to that beast. It's actually going into, shall we say, the true public. It's not a walled garden like Windows is. It's really going out to everyone. So think about this. Even as a developer, right? Windows... Um, as you mentioned, Matt, so correctly, such a large user base of Windows even now. And yet, even then, if a developer chooses to support cross-platform, much easier with Linux side of things and so on and so on, mm -hmm. it's much easier at the same time. And this is what people need to know about future developers, future you know, transitioners from Windows Linux. That directly benefits that Windows user base. That very large user base benefits directly when you support cross-platform, when you support open source, donation-based contribution, community, all those things. It's amazing how much even the Windows people and players that you want to play multiplayer with, that you want to um, provide a good game design with, whatever it may be, tools, they get the benefit as well. That's another angle that I've been noticing. And because it's open source and so on, the code is available, so you can fork it, you can go to GitHub and other, many, many other, you know, in the weeds out there topics, but um, there's so much ways, so many ways to support that, even into the Windows user base. So you're benefiting everybody, potentially. Even mm -hmm. if they never, the Windows users, even if they never touch Linux, your friends, your relatives, right? We have to think in these terms. They still benefit from your direct participation, direct contribution, donation, so on, so on, so on, investment um, into these topics. And again, Matt, your tech freedom is part of that. What I do is part of that. And whether some of us have projects ready to go or in my case, projects that are still, you know, I have much, much to learn. Um, nevertheless, all of this directly feeds into everyone's benefit. That right there, to me, is the greatest um, topic to bring up and motivator to support open source, cross-platform, and any kind of Linux. There you go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it is huge. And... Yeah. When I first started, 
there was almost none of that. Like, wine had just kind of started being a thing. And in case you're wondering what wine is, it stands for wine is not an emulator because it's a compatibility layer that allows you to use Windows software on both Linux and Mac OS, by the way. Um, if it's supported. And not everything is, unfortunately. Um, like, if you're one, like, one of my one of my clients who's like she's made her made her mark in the world as an editor as a copywriter as a uh, yeah that sort of person um, she needed pixel perfect on her documents from for uh, Microsoft Word specifically and she'd been using it since like version 5 since it was barely out of DOS so she had all of these muscle memory for how to do these shortcuts that she barely used the mouse and switching over to LibreOffice or only Office, it didn't work for her so she had to, well, number one, we tried to set up a virtual machine for MS Office, which is an option. And that way you can effectively sandbox it so it can't communicate with Redmond Washington, which, if you remember, is where Microsoft is based. Um, and that's that issue should be the biggest motivator for anybody who wants to make the switch right now is that spying issue because not only is it slowing your system down and causing it to uh, basically seize um, but it's also sending all of that data and we don't know all of what it's sending. Calling it telemetry, which on its face is not a bad thing because they're trying to track where there are crashes, where there are bugs on the surface. But they also key log. Do you know what key logging is? Uh, you know, I've encountered the terminology enough to know that basically it can take over your system when you have that kind of access that much I do know so keylogging and there's an entire subset of malware like viruses called keyloggers where it literally can capture every keystroke every mouse click and then package that and send it somewhere usually to a bad actor, or in the case of Windows, Microsoft. And then there's the fact that they force updates down your throat that could take literally all day. <laughs> and they're about to start forcing you into Windows 11, which is that much more closed off. 
if being forced to install a new version of an operating system doesn't freak you out, why are you on this channel? Like, I thought these things were supposed to be helpful. I thought these things were supposed to work for us. Not send all of our private data to some mega corporation in Washington State. And who knows where else. And there are... Let's see. You know. Both Ubuntu and GNOME actually, have recently rolled out telemetry tools, okay, within, and they're command line based at this point, and optional. But because they're open source, you can actually take a look at exactly what they're gathering and exactly where it's going. You can't do that with Windows. And if you're not ready to make the switch, and I know many aren't, and it's fine. I also have a service for that. I call it Free Your PC. And basically, we use an open source tool developed by Chris Titus Tech that will gut all of those forced, um, forced updates, all the bloatware, you know, the Candy Crush and all this... Um, Xbox gaming and, and whatever other nonsense gets auto-installed because the developers made a deal with Microsoft. Yeah. That's why that stuff's there. In your start menu. And it will also shut off the telemetry. Um, so it's important that you look into this. Um, but we do need to wrap um, for multiple reasons. It's been great. I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope this has been beneficial for you guys who are watching. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll have to do this again sometime. Um, and we can maybe get a little bit more into the weeds on some things. Um, but as an intro, as a, hey, this guy wasn't techie, and he managed to install Linux on his own. That was, that's what I want you guys to pull from this, mostly. Even though I'm less aware on the terminologies, and so on the experience but the one thing that I can provide people is the encounters I've had with other could be coders it could be players of video games could be uh, people who work with tools their viewpoints their opinions because that does represent the audience potentially um, mm -hmm. why they stay on Windows and so on in the future if you ever need that viewpoint, or even looking at Linux from a, a worldwide community point of view, like where it's going, how to support it better, um, I can bring that very, very strongly to the conversation. So I have my skills that I can uh, use to augment your knowledge on the terminologies, Linux, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, system D, system D, we couldn't get into that today, but again, 
more freedom. No, that would have been weeds. It would have been weeds, but (laughs) it it is worth mentioning the key name right there. Keyword for future. But yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. Really Mm -hmm. appreciate it. And for those of you guys watching, thanks for watching. This has been another episode of FOSS News from Tech Freedom. Um, And I really hope you guys felt inspired to try this or to reach out to me or any number of other people in the Linux community. Most of us are more than willing to help. Seriously. Um, And thanks again, Stefan, for coming on. It's been great. Um, And as always, the music is Warzone by Anodomini Beats. Um, Please feel free to subscribe if you haven't. Like the video, share it, comment, all that sort of good stuff. It is time to sign off. And uh, we'll see you guys next time.